0: a lot of things that you need permission from the world to do. Famously, being a parent isn't one of them. But when Kristen Watucki considered becoming a mom, she had a hard time giving herself the go-ahead, even after she got pregnant.
1: That was a time when I felt like it wasn't fully okay for me to be a parent.
0: It wasn't that Kristen doubted herself so much. It was more the chorus of voices around her.
1: I just had this like feeling of skepticism from the nurses and and social working people in the hospital and I sort of had the feeling that well you know there there are so many people who fit whatever the profile of normal is who turn out to be very you know either abusive or neglecting parents and and don't get <laughs> you know don't sort of get flagged as as being such and You know, I really wanted this baby and was planning to take care of him, and, you know, to be met with some skepticism was really hard.
0: Kristen has been blind since she was born, and her husband, James, is also blind. And as her belly grew, Kristen could feel that people were treating her pregnancy differently.
1: A lot of pregnant people would complain that, you know, strangers would come up to them and, like, touch their stomach or whatever— and congratulate them when they just wanted to like go to the store or go work out. And I never really had that experience. Strangers wouldn't talk to me about it. So I kind of started wanting people to talk to me about it. And I remember on the train platform, I was very pregnant one day, and I was so excited when somebody was like, oh, you're pregnant, congratulations. And I, I was just amazed that a stranger, you know, would validate that.
0: The everyday interactions that pregnant ladies endure. Comments like, ooh, getting big. Got your name picked out? Better get used to not sleeping. Those are annoying, but they're also kind of like the Department of New Humans putting stamps all over your mom passport. You have our blessing. Good luck with what's next. But the little endorsement Kristen was getting came with a kind of question mark. Like, how is she going to do this if she's blind?
1: You know, people with disabilities are not being parents on television or in movies. So, you know, that's not sort of what people think of when they think of a parent.
0: This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Andrea Salenzi. Today on the show, Kristen faces down these questions, you know, that every parent struggles with. Like, can I give this kid what they need? Do they like me? Am I cut out for this? But the way she found her answers inside the experience of being blind, it caught her by surprise and made her think about sightedness and the lack of it in a way she never had before. Kristen Matucky is a writer and a teacher, and as you'll hear, a really close observer of people and their behavior. As a kid, Kristen knew she wanted to be a mom someday but you never got some of the traditional practice.
1: I didn't really have the feeling when I was a teenager that people would really want me to babysit for their kids because it was like finding, you know, when you go into someone's house, you have to learn where everything is. And if you can't see where everything is and you're trying to find something like that you need really quickly, you know, how that would go. And then people would sort of worry about whether you can like, listen to their children or, or keep track of what they're doing. So I never really had the babysitting experiences when I was a teenager, and that may have actually fueled <laughs> my wanting to be a mother even more. Because so I was like, well, if I'm a mom, then I know where everything is, and I can, you know, keep track of my kids and all that. And um, and I was... Kristen
0: stops because now her cell phone's reading off an incoming message. Right.
1: Um, That's... Of course, the school with an automatic call, um, <laughs> But they always come at the
0: worst time. She's now got two awesome boys. They can both see. And for most of my visit, they kept trying to slip me a National Geographic magazine. You know, in case I need something good to read during my interview with their mom. The selection made sense because both boys love animals. Actually, most of what I could get them to talk with me about on the record were things like what cats say. This is Noor, who has a toddler bod, curly blonde hair. He's two, or in toddler speak. I really got Noor to open up with me when he told me what cows say. Um. Kristen's older son is less into barnyard animals and more into the ones you find in the wild. What's your favorite animal right now? Bird. Langston's a skinny seven-year-old with dark hair. Because they can fly. Would you
1: love to fly someday?
0: Yeah. For these guys, I was a weird presence in their house. When I first got there, Nora was clinging to my leg. Nora thinks we've known each other for a very long time. Yeah. This is a very loving hug of my leg right now. But Langston lay face down on the living room floor, like maybe you could camouflage there. Then he was leaping from couch to love seat. I think, I think it's Spider Man. <laughs> is that what he's doing, the crawling and the leaping?
1: What kind of animal are you? A cheetah? A frog?
0: He was totally a frog. Then Langston turned into a panther and crawled away. So before Kristen and I go off and grill talk, you gotta meet her husband.
1: My name is James, I'm uh, Kristen's husband, and basically I am um, stay at home and watch the, the little
0: guys. Kristen and James first met at the office, back when they were both working for an educational service for students with disabilities. I was in member services, uh, doing phone
1: calls. And Kristen, you started out in sales, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, James and I um, met at work. We were across the wall from each other at one point, so in these cubicles. I was facing this way, and then she, and she was actually facing me. But there was a wall in between us. <laughs> it was very symbolic, right? Yeah, that yeah. big wall of like all of the yeah. societal like reasons yeah. we shouldn't be together. And, uh, a
0: lot of flags went up when we met because you know age difference and
1: race difference and just a lot of different things. But actually, that wall did keep us, allow us to do our work and not, yeah, like, yeah. be in love all the time. But
0: <laughs> yeah. At first, those differences felt huge. James is black. Kristen's white. There's a 33-year age gap between them. James has two daughters, older than Kristen. But then James trained her on some software, and she'd sit in her cubicle with the wall between them that neither of them could see, and she started wondering about him. She knew he lost his vision as an adult in his 30s. What was that like? What's his life like outside of work? Back then, Kristen was writing a novel, and she realized the older, charming man in it was based on James. She was writing in his voice, so she asked if she could interview him.
1: I asked him uh, to come over, and we um, I, I recorded him. I interviewed him and asked him all kinds of questions, and <laughs> yeah. he didn't leave. So. <laughs>
0: There's this Joni Mitchell song called Michael from Mountains, and Chris needs to think of James when she listened to the chorus, which goes, someday I will know you very well.
1: I told him I wanted children fairly early because I was at, you know, quote-unquote peak childbearing age or whatever, and, you know, I thought, okay, this 30-year age gap thing is nice, but, you know, I want to have a family. And I sort of expected that that would be the thing that would be like, well— Sorry, you know. I'm done with I'm that, done yeah. with the family thing. Like, if I, when I'm his age, I'm hopefully going to be done with that. Uh, <laughs> but he, uh, he stuck around. Um, <laughs> now Nora's saying, ta-da!
0: For Kristen, telling her friends and family about James meant defending her choice to fall for a much older man. But that was nothing. Compared to defending their choice to Kristen's new doctor's To become parents. When
1: I went for the 20-week ultrasound for Langston, there was a mark on his heart that had a weak correlation with Down syndrome. The ultrasound, uh, they recommended that I go to the hospital to have them look at the heart in more depth. So I went over to the antenatal testing unit of the hospital, and one of the doctors said, oh, well, you know, if he has a heart issue then you should definitely get an abortion. But ironically, this is at a Catholic hospital. <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, you don't even do that. And he said, oh, yeah, but we can tell you where to go. And I was like, oh, nice, thanks. Uh, <laughs> you know, but no, actually I was I was devastated because I, my I was very hormonal, I think, and just like worrying that maybe he did have some kind of more in-depth disability that I wasn't prepared for. And then at the same time, like, when that wasn't even confirmed to sort of have them say, well, you know, you can't take care of this
0: kid, it was hard. Despite everything she knew about herself and what she wanted, Kristen heard herself asking about getting an abortion. Because she was sucked into the doctor's line of thinking that being a mom was already going to be such a feat for her with an abled child, any disability would be impossible. He actually referred to her blindness as her life issue. And then it hit her. This doctor doesn't get blind people. He doesn't know whether or not I'm cut out for this. She shook it off and promised herself that when it came time to give birth, she'd surround herself with doctors and nurses who believed in her.
1: I went to the hospital to tour before I gave birth to Langston, and the people I met there were really wonderful. Like, they, you know, were very... You know, they got that I wanted to be a parent and they understood that this was, like, a planned thing. And and then none of those people were there the day that he was actually born. They were all off or, like, just in different places.
0: In the delivery room, Kristen kept thinking about this family in Missouri. She'd read about them. The parents, both blind, had their daughter taken away from them at the hospital just two days after she was born. This happened because, get this, the new mother was struggling at her first attempts to breastfeed. She called a nurse for help, and the nurse helped and then called Missouri Child Protective Services. The baby was taken away from her blind parents for 59 days.
1: The nurse that was there was, like, talking to my friend who brought me in, was like, uh, she's having a baby? And, <laughs> and, my, and my friend was like, well, yes, she's, she is having a baby, so I think you better help her now. and <laughs>
0: Langston was born perfectly healthy. But as a blind mom, Kristen did have more of her guard up that day than most moms would. Because, and this is frankly shocking, two-thirds of all states list some type of parental disability as grounds for removing the child from the home. In some states, disability is defined as broadly as a disease, like a cancer diagnosis. And like that, your parental rights can be terminated. So if you're a disabled parent, a lot depends on how the people at the hospital are thinking about your situation.
1: I, I think some people, when I read their birth stories and and read about how they advocate, you know, while they're pushing the baby out, I'm like, I'm very much in awe of those people because all I could do was, was focus on the contractions and not have to, you know, defend myself to be a mother while I'm pushing the baby
0: out. This is part of why, for her next kid... Nor, Kristen went with a home birth.
1: And it was so nice. I mean, because they knew me and I knew them. And, you know, they were the ones that had seen me every month and then every couple weeks at the, you know, prenatal checkups. And then here they were at delivery.
0: Some of the discrimination Kristen experienced is simple ignorance. For example, in the Missouri case, the nurse had said she didn't know how a blind couple could take a baby's temperature. But parents can buy talking thermometers now, and there's nothing inherently visual about diapering or breastfeeding. When I asked this question to Kristen, she was like, "Uh, yeah, babies aren't that hard. You know, babies
1: don't need a whole lot. Um, (laughs) they, They just need a place to sleep and a food source. And I mean, I had lots of toys for him to look at, but when he was a small baby, I just kind of remember... Feeding him, putting him to sleep, changing him, feeding him—you <laughs> know—it was all kind of this long cycle, but just went on and on and on and
0: on. In a bit, Kristen makes her way through that on and on and on of early motherhood until something stops her in her tracks. Something she really needs to see. Stay with us.
1: <laughs> Advertisements. <laughs>
0: And while we were away, Kristen's toddler, Noor, told me this great knock-knock joke. Nina. Knock, knock. Nina. Nina's the cat who lives next door.
1: Nina who? A cat. The cat. Yeah, Nina's a cat.
0: Get it? Her name's Nina, and she's a cat. <laughs> it's a great joke if you're a two-year-old. But before Kristen was raising two animal-obsessed kiddos, when it was just her and baby Langston... Things were pretty quiet around here.
1: I think being a new mother was more um, isolating than I realized. I mean, James was home with me for about the first six weeks or so, and that was nice. But then he went back to work. So then it just felt like this long cycle of taking care of him and uh, <laughs> maybe trying to fit in a shower real quick sometimes, if I remembered, um, Or eating or something like that.
0: Kristen had some help. Her mom came for the first few days. She cooked Kristen's favorite childhood meals, grilled cheese, canned tomato soup, homemade meatloaf. She helped clear through the towers of baby gifts. Kristen's mom even woke up with her to help keep Langston's hand still during feedings. And then she left.
1: You know, I've seen articles where um, people talk about, you know, what to do with those pesky visitors that show up. And (laughs) I didn't have any pesky
0: visitors that showed up. Kristen couldn't figure it out. Where were the people? Where were the casseroles and the unsolicited advice? And then she understood the problem. Facebook.
1: People would would post photos... <laughs> Including my relatives would, you know, give me photos to post and I would post them. But I think people got the idea that, oh, you could, you know, leave the mother alone to get things adjusted. And, oh, and we can see the baby anyway from the computer screen or the phone. So um, we don't really need to come over.
0: Kristen would sit at her computer, listening to comments like, You look beautiful. This is a wonderful picture. And she'd reply, Can't wait for you all to meet him. The only cheery visitor Kristen could rely on were her weekly emails from Baby Center, tracking her baby's development. She'd sit with Langston and tell him the good news about his progress. You're digging black and white patterns these days. Oh, your neck muscles are getting stronger. And then they'd go back to the endless cycle of feeding and diaper changing. So-and-so liked your photo on Facebook. Feeding and diaper changing. On and on and on. I didn't know other mothers of kids his age. And I didn't
1: really know how important that was until it wasn't there. Because I don't really think of myself as somebody who needs to be in a group of people of a certain age or a certain type of person. So I didn't really think of you know, reaching out to other mothers. And then all of a sudden I was one and I was like, I don't know if any of this is normal. You know, any of this feeling, uh, you know, isolated. And like, I didn't even get dressed today. Like, what's that all about?
0: And then when Langston was five weeks old, she listened to the most perky baby center email of all. About a milestone that'll make your heart melt, even if you've had the worst night yet. This special milestone happens to all babies at the same time in every culture around the world.
1: One of the emails said, well, you know, all of this hard work you've been putting in will be rewarded when your baby first smiles. And, and I was so sad because I thought, I'm not going to see him smile. Like, he's not going to talk for years. And I'm just like this milking machine that is just taking care of this person.
0: That smile update hit her out of the blue. Kristen's never thought about smiles this way. She's never seen one. But apparently, a smile is the key to everything. Well, the email about the smile
1: meant that, you know, after this hard work that you've put in and the the sleep deprivation you've experienced, that you're going to connect with your baby. I think the smile meant connection, like, okay, your baby is finally going to connect to you, and I thought, well, my baby's never going to connect to me,
0: so why am I even doing this? Suddenly, Kristen understands. She can't give Langston what he needs. He might be smiling at her all the time, but she doesn't see it, doesn't smile back, doesn't reward his gift to her. And now Kristen, this new mom, this anxious mom, all she's thinking about is what the smile means.
1: I guess I wasn't sure if he loved me. You know, I wasn't sure if he... Understood that I loved him, you know, or like you know i'm not I'm not sure that any babies understand that, but I wasn't
0: sure if he felt any connection, so then how do how do any mothers know that their babies love them back? I don't
1: know, I guess you know I, I put a lot of value into that smile I wasn't going to say, like that was their way. That was the way that the email said <laughs> that mothers would hear from their babies, which is what they would see from their babies and and that was something I hadn't really thought about when I thought about wanting kids and, and being a parent. I thought about like playing with them when they're two, and like watching or like you know piano recitals when they're like six or seven, and then like you know trying to have deep discussions with them when they're teenagers. But you don't really think. I didn't really think about when um, you know that baby stage and what what we would do to connect as when he was a baby.
0: Had you ever cared as much about sight before you had this little kid?
1: No, no, I never did. I mean, I was born blind, so, and people have asked me, you know, do you ever want to see? And I really haven't because I, and I feel like if someone gave me sight, I'd be spending an awful lot of time adjusting to learning what things look like. But I don't really care what Nixon looks like (laughs) because I know him, you know, as a person and uh, and even when he was a baby, I didn't really think like, "Oh, I wish I could see his hair or his eyes or anything like that because I don't really think of any people that way, but it was just it was just the smile, the literally that like bonding
0: moment that I really wanted. Don't worry, friends. Kristen gets what she wants and more, and somehow, the perky baby center email still gets to be right. Don't go away
1: <laughs> advertisement.
0: we're back with Kristen Wataki. I've been talking with her in her bedroom in Highland Park, New Jersey. Her two boys have been locked out of the room so we can do the interview in privacy. <laughs> oh, there's little fingers coming through the bottom of the door. <laughs> it's evening now, and the sun is setting outside, but we don't have lights on in the bedroom. I'm not about to stop the conversation to get up and turn on the lights. The darkness gives me a glimpse into what it's like to connect with the person without seeing what they look like. For Kristen, that happened with her son Langston, the first time he smiled, or the first time she knew he did.
1: It was Valentine's Day, which is very appropriate. Um, he was about two and a half months old, and, you know, we were just sort of in one of these, like, uh, feed and change cycles, um, which was like the whole day.
0: And <laughs> I started to sing him a song. She recorded it. With this digital audio recorder, she keeps on her nightstand.
1: Daisy, Daisy, give me your answer. Daisy. Uh, I was singing Daisy, Daisy. and <laughs> Why that song? Daisy. I don't know. It was a song that I remembered from my childhood. Um, my mom had Sung it, and she had heard it from her mother, and he started to I sing too. A carrot, <laughs> but you look sweet upon the seat of a bicycle <laughs> for two. He made these little baby noises that were pretty much ah, you know, but but they were somewhat musical, and it was almost like he was trying to to sing with me. You can sing it. Are you singing, and he kept just like making noises to me. That's a good singing. Huh. And I thought he's smiling. He's, you know, he's happy. He's not screaming. He's talking to me. Now I don't need to see the smile anymore. You know, we've we've bonded. Swing love. and then after that I started singing swing low sweet chariot (laughs) I don't know why but I just I think of that as a freedom song and maybe I was like okay I've crossed you know the bridge into some kind of freedom and and I also think of it as, as a song that means a lot in, like, since father's heritage, too, because he's African-American and, like, since biracial. Um, and so, I don't know, it just felt like a meaningful song to sing and, and something to do with my feelings besides, like, burst into tears. <laughs> so. You, you sing better than me. You can do this. Coming for
0: the kind me home Proud Mom, she posted this to facebook
1: and and this was the first snapshot that I had taken myself that um it wasn't a photo but someone else had ca- captured of us together. It was me taking the recording and me, like, connecting with Langston. <laughs> so it was it was a very powerful moment in a lot of ways for me
0: yeah. Did you continue to use that trick with the audio recorder with him as he grew older?
1: Yeah, I recorded a lot of audio over the next couple of years.
0: She recorded Langston crying for more milk. (coughs) Langston, (coughs) and Belly laughing in the bathtub.
1: We sometimes read books together, so I have recordings of him like reading, owl babies. Once there were three baby owls, Yeah, and baby, and Belle. Owl moon. There's no wind. The geese time, and more birds. There's a lot of owl stuff. It's interesting to listen back now and hear how he pronounced words. Maybe for thirteen. By Robert Matosti If every time Mr. Maddie is at that, go. American whales live in the Christmas tree. If they see danger, they just don't a
0: Christmas tree to hide.
1: Hey, this is Langston here, and I'm making a video, blah, blah, blah.
0: This got even easier once she could start taking iPhone videos. Langston is making faces at the camera, like he's ready for his own killer YouTube channel.
1: Should I ask you some questions? Sure. Okay. So this is a video I'm going to interview Langston. So Langston, what did you do today?
0: I went out in the snow with Mike. Kristen okay, isn't totally it, pointing the camera at Langston. You can see a very adorable upper third of his head, though. I
1: walked back home
0: in that deep snow by myself. Wow. Was it hard? No. Okay.
1: Okay.
0: So looking back at that memory of early parenthood, how do you understand it now that Langston's uh, a seven-year-old who's (laughs) crawling around the house right now like a little frog? I mean, Langston
1: was pretty verbal from a very young age, and I felt like he also got at a relatively young age that I couldn't see and that James couldn't see.
0: How did you know that he understood that?
1: You know, we, we would always touch things. So I noticed this with Noor now. He says, um, yuck, mama, and he hands me something that he wants me to understand. So Noor is just starting to know that I'm blind and that if I want to look at something, he has to hand it to me or put my hand on it. So I think Langston got that
0: pretty early. Kristen doesn't want to presume how big of a deal blindness is for her kids.
1: I don't talk about it a whole lot. um what he did tell me that one of his friends at school said she wished I think that she had blind parents because then she could get away with stuff and <laughs> and you know, I said, Well, do you think that it's cool to get away with things you know and uh he's like, No, no, and um, because I don't think he gets away with that much, I can sort of tell what he's doing and when he even when he's like sneaking, I don't might not know exactly where he is, but I know that he's not where he's supposed to be. You know, when they get quiet, then it really means that something's going on. So You know, um, you know. You
0: just know. A few weeks ago, Kristen was out walking with Langston. They were talking about what to do in a sandstorm at the time. Like you do. In the desert? Yeah. They decided that the best solution is probably goggles. Especially if your blind mom can help as your guide when you can't see. And then Kristen asked.
1: Do you think there's anything special about being in our family that's different from maybe your friends? I don't
0: know.
1: Or is it like, well, you have parents just like everybody else?
0: Langston thinks for a while. And then says, well... You get hugs and kisses, and that's not really what happens at school with friends. Yeah. That's the nice part about having a family, right? These two. They have a bond. The kind that would get you through anything. Sandstorms, panther traps, even new motherhood. Langston is the author of two books, The Transcriber and Outside Myself. And you can find links to those and the articles about Langston that inspired this episode on our website, LongestShortestTime.com. And while you're there, we want to hear from you. What misconceptions do people have about you and your family? Tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode number 163. This episode was produced by me, Andre Lindsay, with Jackie Sajiko and Kristen Clark. Our show's creator and executive producer is Hilary Frank. We were edited today by Peter Clowney. Our engineers are Pete Carum and Jared O'Connell. Our music was performed by hotmoms.gov. And we get editorial support from Antonia Acatunde, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Rekha Murthy, and Julia Wang. Next time on The Longest Shortest Time... Alison is a dad. I am like a dad times four. Like I'm like dad, 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 dad. And one of the ways he's a dad is to a son who's white. He loves to
1: surprise people with the fact that his, his dad is black. He, you know, he doesn't tell his friends and I'll go pick them up somewhere and I haven't met them before and they'll pull up and they'll be like, hey, this is my dad. And they'll just look at him like, what? And look at me like, who?
0: Do not miss Al Letson's dad, 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 dad Dad stories. Subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time on Stitcher or wherever you're listening right now. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want to hear your stories. What's surprising about your kids, teens, parents? Tell us, go to longestshortesttime.com, hit the participate tab and submit your story.
1: Okay. Da-da.